This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Good morning. Good morning, Professor Ward Scott here on the Ward Scott Files in the Manly Warthog Man Cave inside the Mellon Law Studio. 50 years of experience, a full service. Uh, law firm and the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida. And of course, uh, brought to you and secured by Crime Prevention, our cpss.net 24 7 365. Check out the mugshots, patronize our sponsors, and we appreciate all donations. Well, we've got a great show today. We have a, uh, a good buddy of mine now who is once upon a time, he was a mayor of Gainesville. So he's been a commissioner in Gainesville and He's now chair of the Elotra County Republican Party. He's running for the Elotra County Commission. He can't seem to get politics out of his system. And uh, will be joining us in just a moment. Uh, he is uh, going to talk about some of the things that you've been wondering about, how districts work and what the situation is at the county commission with people claiming homestead and claiming districts and all the above. So it can be confusing even to somebody who is actually uh, a veteran of the political game. So uh, we'll try to straighten that out for you here in a, a little bit. Ed and I used to work together on the radio. And of course, when Ed was mayor and I was on the radio, we had a powdered donut Wednesday when the mayor came in and we sat and talked for and answered any kind of questions you wanted to answer. I couldn't imagine doing that with how low can you go, Bowtie Poe. So it's a kind of a different world. I think Ed probably is one of the few uh, Republican um, mayors we've ever had in Gainesville, even though it's supposed to be a nonpartisan uh, race, you know, the Gainesville sunset, which is really getting to be pretty doggone thin. You almost can't use it as a mullet wrapper. Um, we, uh, uh, back then, of course, the, the Gainesville uh, sunset had a little bit more in it. Now it's basically the sports. And, you know, it's it's pretty thin when, the only thing above the fold they have to put is the uh, situation with the realtor here a couple of days ago. And now really the only thing that they are showing any ability to talk about, and we beat them to the punch usually, and informing you of what's going on is whatever is happening with with districts and races like that. So Ed has agreed to join us. He's um, got a busy schedule. He's also fully employed at college, uh, I think, where he still has his um, – um, control partially anyway of the testing of all the people who come through the institution. Am I right on that, Ted? Uh, Ed? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm still I'm still hap- happily at the college and uh, involved in testing. Yes, sir. Well, we uh, while you were getting your coffee, uh, uh, I was um, talking about how we used to have a powdered donut Wednesday and how much fun that was, and how we once upon a time uh, were on the radio air together and how much fun that was. And now you can't seem to get the political uh, fight out of your system. So uh, let's talk about um, 
what it's difficult for just average people, if there is such a thing in the voting world, to understand. And that's how districts work. <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm, I'm going to sit back and let you teach for a minute. <laughs> well, it's interesting because um, even within one larger political jurisdiction, there may be multiple rules for issues of how districts operate and how representation within those districts takes place. So, for example, when I was uh, mayor of Gainesville, but actually before that, when I was a city commissioner, there was a residency rule for running for city commission. You had to live in the city of Gainesville for six months prior to qualifying. So that's a sort of a hard mark that was that you could test with a county commission. OK, all within Alachua County County Commission is you just have to be a resident of your district uh, at the time of your election and residency is different than living, right? So there's, there's <laughs> ways you can sort of legally tax the word residency. And that's big, become the issue again now in this race, both in my race, which is the, the district two race. And then in the race uh, that Ramey Eagle Glenn who was appointed by the governor, her race, because her opponent who was once the incumbent, uh, also had the same issue with residency. And and I know, you know, for listeners, they're saying, well, this sounds like an old familiar tune. And it is in one sense, because, yes, we've had other county commissioners do this where they really live in one place, but they claim residency in another so they can run. But what makes this one different is that both Mary Alford and my opponent, Mary Helen Wheeler, the current chair of the county commission, decided to be one step, take it one step further. I guess they were, they didn't like getting the annoying question of, yeah, tell me about this residency thing again. And so instead of just saying, you know, deal with it, they actually went and changed their driver's license and then changed their voter registration to reflect their secondary property, the one they really don't stay at very much, uh, while maintaining their homestead exemption on their primary residence. And in Mary Helen Wheeler's case, it was her marital home. She's still happily married, has a great husband, they have a great life, but she to to get over this issue of the residency, she legally changed, you know, she got new documents that suggested she'd moved out of her marital home and moved in with, I guess, her son and in a small house somewhere in district two. Um, but, but still got to get that tax break, right? You can vote to impose higher taxes on other people, but she still wants that homestead exemption tax break. So she did it for three consecutive years. <laughs> so, so that's, that's different than what we've done before. I, I know you were talking on your show yesterday or the day before about couch surfing and that phenomenon, which happens not just you know here in Alachua County. It happens around the state where you have some wiggle room with the language. Um, but this is not this was a, th again, this is a step further. And it's actually a breach of the law to do what they've done. Well, so what you're saying is in the moment, let's take uh your opponent, uh, Mary Helen uh, Wheeler, by changing her address on her driver's license, is that what we're saying? Yes. And then saying and, that and was her registration. And saying that was her legal address for those two things, she either had to 
give up the homestead exemption thereafter. Right. Or try to keep both. Is that where she yep. is now? No, well, my, my reading of the law, and I'm not a lawyer. I, I just pretend to be one when, I, when it serves my interest. No, no, not a lawyer. But what I, from my understanding, you're not allowed to get a driver's license for a secondary place. All right. Okay. So let's just, let's do it by state, right? You're not, if you live 360 days in Florida and you live five days in Georgia, you don't get a Georgia driver's license. You get a Florida one. Okay. Same's true within, within your County. And so, you know, she changed her residence based on where you actually live. And, and, you know, this also applies to the voter registration issues, too, because to get your voter registration card changed, you have to present your driver's license. I mean, I live in High Springs. I've moved and I actually live where I say I live. I have the title. I have the deed. I pay the mortgage, you know, all, all of those things that come with that. And because I live in a different city now, I did what I'm supposed to do. I went down and I changed my driver's license to reflect that. And then I changed my voter registration. And I had to show them my driver's license to show that I lived, that I lived where I said I lived in order to get that. Um, so she went through the same motions, but with the different effect being she does, she doesn't live there. Um, and, and the proof of that is that she was claiming homestead exemption on her marital home where she really does spend the overwhelming majority of days of the year. When did she change the voter registration and driver's license? Do you know? Evidently three years ago. So it was right. right after the beginning of her first term. So she gets into office after, you know, elect, she was elected in office in 2018. So in 2019, to deal with this frustrating question she's getting about her residency, she thought she would be clever. So she goes and she changes her, your driver's license. And then with a the new driver's license, she, which also means she has to put her name on like utility because to get a new license, you have to you know, produce other documentation that shows you're a resident of the secondary of this different dwelling. So she did all she did all of that. And then uh, she takes it to the supervisor of elections office. And with this new documentation, she gets her new voter registration. And she's thinking, aha, now I can show people my voter ID card, my voter registration. And that will that will put to bed this question of where my residency is. Uh, oh, it's tax time. Let me make sure I file my homestead exemption oh. on my marital home, uh, which that is a violation of the law. It's not a nicety. I think some people who are who who read the paper and they hear this, you know, homestead. She played a fine awesome. They sort of, you know, we all hate paying taxes, right? We all try to pay the the, the smallest amount. So some people, I think, are sort of likening it to. Well, maybe she inflate. It's sort of like inflating the value of what you donate to Goodwill every year. Okay, did you really donate five hundred dollars worth of socks and underwear? Of course not, right? So, so the sort of people think of it in that mindset, but it's not Ward. It is a totally different thing. It is a violation of the law to claim homestead exemption on something that is not your primary property. Well, it's a and violation. That's what she, she did. When she, when she switched the driver's license and the voter registration, she legally switched her primary residence over here while keeping 
while continuing to file for three years for homestead exemption on what is now her secondary dwelling, but it's not really her secondary dwelling. It's her, it's her marital home. So that's why she goes back and tries to make up for that. But oh, yes. well, you got me. I'll pay the back stuff and maybe that will go away. And Ward, <laughs> even that is an interesting twist that I, you know, I'm hoping some intrepid reporter will, will do a little more digging on. Because, of course, when, when this all it came out in the paper, she said, you know, ignorance is expensive. So she paid a fine. Both her and Mary offered total, a total of something like more than $16,000 and all that stuff. But that really doesn't pass the smell test. And Ward, had this happened to you or happened to me, no one would buy this. OK, so even if you give the courtesy of saying, OK, in year one, perhaps she just it slipped her mind. And she falsely filed a homestead exemption. But there's really no excuse for years two and three, right? But even year one is a stretch because in that year one ward was when she was very attentively focused on changing residency. I mean, that's when she was doing it, right? So 2019, that's when she is changing the driver's license, changing the voter registration. It is focused. It is detailed. It is deliberate. And it is knowing and willingly doing all these things. So it, you're buying the idea that in year one, you just sort of, oops, I forgot I filed in the wrong place. That really doesn't pass the smell test. And it sure as heck doesn't follow that years two and three would also fall under the same ignorance as bliss category. Uh, so for three straight years, while voting to impose higher taxes on everyone else, she's getting a very lush tax break through the homestead uh, protection, uh, you know, law. And, and so what, what it only gets remedied. And I, again, I, for the record, it's not remedied, but, um, only after the Gainesville Sun broke a story back in May that was really not even focused on that. It was focused on this residency question. And she did the, ha ha, I'm going to put it to bed. Here's my voter registration. Here's my driver's license. Only in the follow-up in that report did they say, well, wait a second. You know, she paid Homestead somewhere else. And then, then the uh, evidently, from what I understand, the uh, property appraiser, a Democrat, sent her and Mary Alford a certified letter saying, you guys stepped in it, uh, pay this fine, and then we'll sort of, that we'll call it a true up, and that'll be that. So they both suddenly, two weeks after the article, the news story broke, that's when they uh, true up, pay the fine, thinking it's all put to bed. But it's not all put to bed. And now I know someone, I, I don't know the person, but someone has filed a lawsuit against her over the voter registration card. I think she still has exposure on the homestead exemption. Just because you pay a fine doesn't mean that the wrongdoing for three consecutive years has been remedied. And in Mary Alford's case and the other commission race for two consecutive years. So, so there's, there's something that's still going on. So, so in other words, I guess my point word, it, it is substantively different than the couch surfing that we've witnessed in the past. Uh, they, they took extra steps and those extra steps with their intent to be clever and outwit, you know, the critics um, have really put them both in legal jeopardy. Well, just to put it in layman's terms, what I take away from this, that was a great explanation as usual. Um, 
two lies have been told. One has been told for three years. Un, you know, let's forget paying the fines and all that. To me, that's irrelevant. It's the falsehood delivered to the agencies that existed until it was discovered, not and admitted to not by them, but by, let's face it, research by those who research these things, as we know, and exposed it. So you've got to go back and explain lying to the agencies, which I think is perjury. If you look at the signatures, when you sign these documents, when you sign these documents, Ed, it said, if this is not true, you're subject to perjury. Penalty of perjury, yeah. Well, and that gets to the issue of driver's license and, uh, you know, voter registration, you know. So when you say this is my new primary residence, um, you do that under penalty of perjury. Well, if, now here's the point. Who is going to come in on that? Because it needs to be addressed. Is it going to be the governor? I'm going to get these questions right now off the chats. Who's going to do this? I mean, does it take? I know there's another person who has filed a suit. Ironically, is a Democrat, mm-hmm. uh, as I understand it. But well, there are people who are. Yeah, he's a Democrat. I, I don't know if he's allied with Charlie Jackson, who she defeated in the primary. But I imagine Charlie Jackson is saying, "Why the heck didn't all this come out before the primary?" Um, so, so there's that section. Um, again, that's the focus that seems to be exclusively on the voter registration piece. The other exposure I think she and Mary Alford uh, are vulnerable on is the um, uh, homestead exemption issue. Um, the governor, will the governor act? The governor has to have, I, I think he has to see something. You know, there has to be a, a, a judicial action of some kind or law you know and i'm not wishing anything on anybody i'm just saying I, the governor's not going to read something in the gainesville sun and take action he's going to have to wait to see what what's what's really going on what plays out i guess well uh, you know from our history of being together on the radio and all that business you know we've run across this before and in terms of stories that we've covered around the state mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and let's take DeSantis out of it if one of these commissioners creates a commits a crime, mm-hmm. they get removed. They they yeah. get removed. Then. So well, and there's certainly uh, the issue of, of how a double stand, yeah, a double standard. How how things play out. Um, although homestead exemption is is different than voter registration, uh, they're tied together in one sense. It's all about the electoral politics, right? So there are. There are people in jail that 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 are state attorney prosecuted over voter registration falsities. Right. They they didn't own up to what they've done or they you know, I don't know if it was worth what address they put down or whatever. But there have been in other words, in other words, what I'm getting at because I'm not again, I'm not wishing ill on anybody. But what I'm saying is there has been tough in, in enforcement uh, when it relates to electoral politics, there has been an aggressive approach demonstrated on things related to the politics of elections. And so I don't really know how this one just gets ignored or excused as a oops, I just was you know, ignorant for three consecutive years. Uh, also, there's another irony. Um, you notice the 
when people claim they're ignorant in, in a way, it's always in, over something that benefited him, benefited them. She didn't pay too much in taxes for three years and then be caught say, oh, my gosh, I want my money back. It's in the other direction. Right. I, uh, I was getting a major tax benefit for three consecutive years. And I'm just going to say it was all just ignorance. Well, you know, the um, um, situation of accountability on a driver's license plays into the need for the law to know when they take ask for your driver's license that that's not bogus because in the criminal world, that'd be one of the first things you would do. I mean, sure. in the hard and criminal world, let's take her out of it. You would get a driver's license with a bogus address because that throws the dogs off your trail. Just that's one more step to throw them off your trail. So that's yeah. why that's why if you examine that driver's license, they want that to be accurate. And uh, she can claim, well, don't you know me as a person? But hey, mm-hmm. if you're riding down a road outside this county, she's riding down and right. outside this state, okay? And and mm-hmm. let's say uh, her her son. I don't, he's not relevant to the situation. You know, that both of them can't claim that residence, if you will. I'm sure she doesn't stay there. I mean, she's still with her husband. So if she's in an accident in Georgia or somewhere like that, it's a false address they go to. And, and it's, it, it's, it's that way for a reason. You got to have that address right yep. for a reason. The other yep. thing I, I want to address for a moment, it seems to me that the other lady's situation is even more uh, uh, interesting because she, if I understand this right, Ed, claimed a business as a homestead. <laughs> Am I right? That's right. That's Home- right. That's right. She claimed, well, no, I don't know. No, no. I don't know if she claimed it as a homestead. She claimed it as her residence. Mm-hmm. And so, again, the issue with, with her race, and she's you know, facing off against Ramey Eagle Glenn, is that, yeah, she really does, you know, let, you know let's in the naivete, she really does live in a brick and mortar house, and she always has. But for this game we've played, she claimed residency in a business. But evidently, she so she's the one who resigned, right? And then she's running again. So from what I understand, she has purchased or rented a place in the district correctly, but then, like Mary Helen Wheeler, she changed her driver's license and her uh, voter registration to that other dwelling while still claiming homestead exemption on the place she has always lived in, which is outside the district. And so that's why she's in trouble, too. She did it for two consecutive years. Mary Helen Wheeler did it for three consecutive years. Well, I get this piece of news for you. I don't even think you know this. We just got this is from our our data investigator who shall remain unnamed, but it was world <laughs> famous now. Yeah, yeah. now. This might come as interest to you. The Senate uh, District 9 Democrat nominee, Rodney Long, did not vote in the primary, okay, <laughs> and claims to reside. We know where he lives. I don't know Oka Road by the racetrack. Claims to reside with his nephew, who happens to be a Tony Jones relative, at 2414 Northeast 4th Avenue. For the which purpose of him in, which well, put him in the Senator Perry's district. Put him in Senator Perry's district. Ah, uh, so he can uh, run again. But no, now listen, see, Rodney's pretty slick. 
he didn't vote there. He didn't vote. Mm. Does he think that changes things, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know now. You know, this is just breaking. We're going to feed this over to the Gainesville Sunset and see if they pick it up. This yeah. is the kind of stuff we're dealing with that I think voting is confusing enough to voters. Yeah. How many times have you and I been asked, now, wait a minute now. I thought we had single member districts. We got districts. No, you don't, because everybody votes countywide. Yeah, that's I mean, right. it's just a district in name. If yeah. everybody vote, you can't have it both ways. Well, and that and that's the thing, Ward, with this is if people are if people are tired of the crap, you know, certainly I hope they would obviously vote for me and vote for Ramey Eagle Glenn, vote for Van Elmore in the other race. I hope I hope they do that. But the other way to end the end the gamesmanship that gets played is to vote for single member districts and then you will have carved wedges of the county and you you represent that wedge and you live in that wedge and you vote in that wedge and that's the best that's the single best way to call bs on all of this crap that's been going on well you know that's going to be a bloody war because um the the the, the uh, press is married to the democrat uh, party and so they'll misinformation that thing but the yeah. simple litmus for it is a very simple litmus i think that most people will understand well if you think you've got single member districts don't you know that your vote if you say you live in the rural area of alachua outside a lot or somewhere between alachua and high springs that area out in there and you vote and you get all your neighbors out there to vote you right. don't begin to outnumber the whole countywide group of people who are voting outside your quote unquote district against you. It mm -hmm. nullifying right. your vote several, not just well, once, but this, several this times is over. Why, yeah, and you know, this is why rural interests have been ignored and small towns have been bullied by the Alachua County Commission is because they can, right? They have the 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 anchor of the city of Gainesville and the more radical um liberals who who sort of control politics there and so they just run the numbers and they say you know uh the numbers out in lacrosse numbers out of micanope the numbers you know out in high springs just aren't the same as the numbers in the city of Gainesville. so we're just going to ignore you know what those concerns are and if you have a representation by districts alachua county carved into five uh Pot pieces of the pie, basically, and the commissioner has a vested interest in protecting and promoting the interests of that piece. Uh, you'll get better. You'll, you know, the people will be heard better, and that's the. Let me tell you how important districts is. A little trip down memory lane. When I ran, you know, you I ran for mayor in 2013. In 2014, we really needed to oust the create you know, the radical Susan Botcher who was a city commissioner at the time, and she lived in the third di district three of the city of Gainesville. She's the you know, chieftain in the DEC ranks, you know, and, and pretty, everyone thought she was invincible. Me and Todd Chase drove with a map of the city all around the third district. We drove all around the perimeter and all of the roads looking for people we know who live within that district. We didn't, we didn't say, let's go get someone else and then ask them to you know, rent an apartment. We drove the district to find someone who lived there. And we found Craig Carter sitting right on the edge. And we pretty much 
you know, went to him and said, you got to run. And, uh, and of course he engineered a brilliant campaign and pulled off the upset and ousted her from office, uh, shocking upset win, but that's the way you, you know, you should do it. He represents, he lived in his district. He represented his district. And you could go knock on the door and talk to him. And yeah, you know. and, and people did. And he did, yeah. Yeah. you know, he's a very outgoing, gregarious guy. And he was an outstanding commissioner. So I think, you know, you'll get better, you'll get better representatives, you know, I mean, theoretically this, so it points out, you know, that Mary Helen Wheeler lives actually spends the majority of her time in Ken Cornell's district, but here's what could theoretically happen under this game. We play all five could live yes. in Kim McGurn's building right beside the Hippodrome, right? All yes. five could. And that, that's what could con- conceivably happen under the status quo, when, where people just, you know, the five decision makers for the county all like share a flat or something like that. And so it's got to change. It's really got to change. Oh, they could live around the duck pond. You ride around the duck pond, you, know, you see nothing but Democrat signs and, and um, they could all live there and, 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 uh, a whole county vote for them and not live there. I mean, that's, that's and they're just yeah, and they're completely out of touch with ev- all the other concerns of the community. Totally. I mean, golly, we'll be talking. I, mean, I remember I was at a forum ward where, um, you know, I, uh, they get the question about you know single member districts, and I remember hearing Mary Helen Warren say, "Well, the beauty is that I really represent everybody." I I can be everywhere and represent everybody. And then the follow-up question was, what's your view of Spring, the people behind the Springs County movement? And she says, you know, I really don't understand what they're all about. <laughs> well, wait a second. How can you? So, so in other words, she proves the, uh, the old saying that to, to, to be representative of everything is really to be representative of nothing. Yeah. You know, because she has, she had no focus on what's going on. Now, if she actually lived in High Springs or Alachaway or she lived out in the rural unincorporated areas, I guarantee you she would know what it was really about. And I and I, you know, I hope the people who are in favor of that would give me a chance to represent them because um, <laughs> I, I certainly do understand their frustrations and concerns. Well, none of this does any good for this to promote faith in voting. Uh, that's really the right. bottom line issue. Uh, here we are trying to uh, shore up registration roles and, mm-hmm. and uh, make sure we have a real honest to God uh, system that uh, purges those who aren't. We know that's not true. And now we got people who are representing the public trust who are not trustworthy. <laughs> well, you're you're absolutely right. So there is a, there's a lack of trust in institutions and. Lord knows the supervisor's office had problems with this primary election we're trying to get remedied. Um, so there's reasons for distrust. But when you're elected, the leaders basically play these games. Um, you know, it does. It gives it justifiably undermines trust. And then there's another element of that. Again, we're told we pay high taxes in Alachua County because, um, you know, we have we have things that must get funded and. And, and it's all necessary. But when you're elected leaders who vote to impose those high taxes and they, they express the rhetoric in support of those high taxes, cut corners to lower their own tax burden. I mean, so so when you don't pay your property taxes, it's not some, you know, 
fat man in the tax office who who, who misses a, a meal. It's the uh, Children's Trust loses their funds. The Alachua, the Library. public libraries lose yeah. they lose their funds. Law enforcement, sheriff's office, firefighters. You know, um, I would say we we lose money on the road funds, but we're not. <laughs> paying for roads anyway so but but the bottom line is those dollars are supposed to go to things that provide services and so when your elected leaders say well i'm going to cheat not not pay my fair share but i'm going to impose it on everyone else well then again people justifiably lose trust well we've been talking with ed ratty who has been a uh, great friend for a long time ed you want to say anything about your guest this year for the blue tie, black, black tie? Yeah, jeans? black tie, blue jeans. So a bunch of people worked really hard. Um, I'm proud to have led the effort, but uh, I have to congratulate many, many people uh, for their uh, work. Uh, but our keynote speaker will be Governor Ron DeSantis, and it's October 20th. Uh, in the city of Alachua. They are great hosts. I have a great relationship with the city uh, commissioners and Mayor Kerper up in Alachua, and it'll be at the Legacy Park. And uh, we worked, I sent my first request in for the governor, I think in May or early June. No, it's actually, actually, I think it's late April or early May is when I sent my first request and did a bunch of forms. At one point, I drove to Tallahassee and hand-delivered a, a letter of invitation to him and to his team, uh, stayed in constant contact. We had multiple people working the phones, um, taking advantage of meetings to mention this. So um, he's a, he's in high demand. He's not the most high-demand speaker in Florida. He's the most high-demand political speaker in the United States of America right now. And so we're very proud that two weeks before the general election, We'll have Governor DeSantis as our keynote speaker at the 20th annual Ronald Reagan Black Tie and Blue Jeans Barbecue. Well, that's good news. And, uh, of course, everywhere DeSantis goes, there's uh, uh, quite a following wants to hear what he has to say. Uh, Ted Yoho yesterday said he went to a fundraiser in Jacksonville and, and for DeSantis, and that was uh, another well-attended event. And as you say, people are looking for leadership. and you and I both know there's a dearth of that. I mean, you know, I, yep. I don't know what it is. Why? I don't know what it is. I, you know, I haven't really sat down and analyzed why. If I suppose if I had the answer, I could dispense it in some, uh, you know, magical way or something. But um, it's time for leadership and and people who are, who are not afraid to stand on principles. So I think the, the thing we've been talking about here belies all that. I mean, how can you lead if you're not trustworthy? I, 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 even in, in in what you say on your driver's license, I mean, it it, it kind of yeah rings, rings hollow. Therefore, and and I and I certainly don't want to alarm any of your listeners that if you may have just moved across town or just moved into the area and they still have their old driver's license, no, you're not you're not in trouble because you're not trying to gain political power and and exercise it over others. And so you can, in an orderly, timely fashion, going about you know, changing your mailing address, do all of that stuff. It, but if you are seeking political power and you play this game and you don't follow the rules, but you impose those rules on others, yeah, then that's a problem. Well, Ed, thanks for joining us. I know you got a busy day today and you've been uh, to be commended for 
uh, trying to um, pull it all together and uh, give us a viable opposite. Uh, 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 choice between the Democrat powers that be that, yeah, uh, and the Republicans. Well, we have a chance, uh, you know, with three Republicans on the county commission, well, then there's your majority. So I'd encourage not just uh, your listeners to support me, which you can do at edbrady.com, uh, but to support Ramey Eagle Glenn and Van Elmore in their respective races. And then, of course, we have a, a wonderful slate of candidates from top to bottom. Ward, I'd, I'd like to come back on your show sometime. Talk about uh, candidates for Soil and Water Management Conservation Board, that district. We are competitive there. We've got candidates for State House, two of them. You know, we have Chuck Clemens in one. We have Holly Merton in another one that affects Alachua County. Uh, and then you keep going up the list. Of course, we mentioned Senator Perry in his race and Congresswoman Kat Kamek. And then you have the statewide candidates. So I'll put on my party chairman hat and come back, and uh, we'll talk about all of those, too. Yeah, soil and water conservation is probably something that we could help people understand because they don't realize that that's an office you run for, and it has, yep. quite, a bit of, it has quite a bit of a political power. In, in- it is, and it's about protecting agriculture so that we have agriculture in the future, and uh, the progressive you know, wing has outmaneuvered us before, not now, uh, and they've put a, you know, a bunch of radicals on those boards. And so we really got to have people who care about agriculture uh, in those seats. And we, we are challenging all five. Who actually know something about agriculture, by the way. Yep, they're tied. They, they have a relationship with agriculture. So, yes. Right. Well, we're going to take a break now in the War Scott Files. And we'll let Ed get back to his busy day and thank him for coming by. And we'll stay in touch and take you up on that offer, Ed, real soon. You tell me when you want to get by and we'll make it happen. So um, it'd be another teaching process. And uh, that's what the show is all about, is helping teach uh, all of the listeners and watchers here what's going on. Hopefully we cleared up today a little bit of what's at at stake here is the public trust. And we'll see how this works out. I have my own opinion about if it's all true as alleged and stated, then it needs to be dealt with. And the public leader shouldn't get away with this. So uh, it indicates other problems elsewhere, I'm sure. So uh, we're going to take a break on the Ward Scott Files and thank our sponsors, and uh, I'll do the weather when we get back. Thanks, Ed. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. 
If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files. I'm going to do Ward's weather here, brought to you by Lewis Oil. Uh, great sponsor, great friend, and uh, big supporter of helping us deliver a form of information to you here in our community and not just this community, but across the state and across the country. We have a lot of people listening to us all over, really. Uh, I want to do a little bit of the weather here locally first. Uh, we are now cooling down a little bit, as I've been saying, and it will be iffy rainy all the way into next Wednesday. So we'll have the same weather pattern uh, perhaps over your place. It'll be raining across the street. It won't or vice versa, but it's just always going to be hanging around. Uh, the grass, I'm telling you, is slowing down. Uh, you check out in your yard, and you may mow less frequently now. We'll be mowing at Windy Hill tomorrow, and uh, we'll probably be slowing down that process, which, of course, if you're just keeping a yard, you're happy to see. But if you're growing uh, behavior for cattle, uh, then you're not so happy to see it because one of the things we start doing now is protecting our pastures. We will fence off the cattle in one pasture and let, let them deplete that pretty much while we let other pastures grow as much as they can before we put them into it because we're trying to put off hauling hay as long as we can. Uh, the great crunch is on the rural life right now in terms of expenses. Uh, the electric car fad will have nothing to do, be totally in, in, unable, in my humble opinion, of ever replacing the big diesel tractors that uh, are designed to run all day long. They've already been hampered by uh, its so-called environmental controls on them. And um, many people avoid buying new tractors for that reason. They want the ones that are be eight or nine years old that have a much more pure, uh, much uh, more effective uh, um, fuel distribution system on them. So that's just a little inside baseball for you. Uh, there are two areas of uh, interest that are being monitored in the Atlantic uh, for possible tropical storms that will possibly become, you know, the hurricane. There are a couple of ways to look at the hurricanes, of course. Uh, the wind damage is uh, not uh, welcome, but in many places, the rain is. It replenishes the aquifer. It uh, brings new life, and uh, it's one of the real sort of blessings, if you will, of the hurricane. Uh, but we don't want the wind if we can help it, but we do get it sometimes, and sometimes 
very much damaging when um, there are um, uh, Western rainfall is beginning. It's interesting. They've got a counterclockwise spin off of Southern California that is bringing drought relief, but it's also increasing flood risk because when you have dry earth, as long as they've had there, and all of a sudden you get inundating rain, while a lot of the rain is not absorbed by the earth and runs off into floods. So um, nature giveth and nature taketh away. So uh, we're keeping an eye on that climate impact there in Southern California. Uh, Covered yesterday the depletion all over the world of some of the big major rivers that run to hydroelectric sources of energy. And I'm going to get into uh, energy here in a moment because of a little more extensively because um, we just uh, dodged a bullet here if we really have dodged it on this uh, uh, agreement not to shut the railroads down. I want to get into that in just a minute. So that's the awards weather report brought to you by Lewis Oil. And uh, govern yourself accordingly, as they say. Well, in talking about uh, this, um, how many things are traveling by rail, you know, we forget that. We see the trucks going up and down the highway. And if you travel on the interstate, you know that those interstates are basically semi-truck rivers. Uh, They're carrying goods all over the place. And, of course, they've been pinched by the increasing diesel prices. But um, the rails kind of go unnoticed every once in a while. And um, basically what I've been able to learn is that uh, Amtrak is subsidized by the government, but um, the the rails are not the ones that haul the freight. Now, if I'm wrong on that, please correct me. But I was told yesterday when I was out visiting one of my friends on on his ranch, a big piece of property here in Alachua County, uh, visiting with a very wise friend of mine, he advised me, uh, hey, get, uh, get down to uh, and, and buy as much of the products that you have been thinking will be there on the shelves uh, routinely as, mu- as uh, right now because if this strike goes on with the, the trains, you're going to see these shelves emptied real, real quickly. And that's what we've done. We've gone out this morning and we've uh, in the process now restocking uh, because while we have a settlement on the rails, uh, temporary anyway. We don't know if it's permanent, but if those rails get shut down, those unions go on a strike um, and they don't carry the goods that you take for granted will be on the shelves when you enter the store, um, then you're going to have some real problems. You need to have some backup stuff. As we've talked before, it only takes a couple of hours to clean out a, a grocery store in a hurricane. We've seen this many, many times in Florida. So you can imagine uh, cleaning one out and then having nothing to fill it up again because the rails are on strike. So if you're thinking along those lines, maybe you'll want to take that into a, into consideration and uh, uh, take a uh, take a great precautions and prepare. You know, when I was a kid growing up, of course, on the farms, the women all canned and put things away, and we were all uh, ready for the winter months when nature went um, uh, went to sleep, so to speak. And, and um, the, uh, uh, we were prepared. We did, while nature was plentifully providing, we stocked up. And, and the men went to the fields, of course, and brought in the crops. And then the women uh, produced a, a, a way of um, keeping them throughout the winter months. So now we're in a situation where, we're, as I was talking with Ted Yoho yesterday, 
who is a large animal veterinarian by profession and knows the countryside very, very well. We're in a place where really it's down to about 1% of the nation supplies the food for the rest of the nation. And, you know, we're able to do that through corporate farming. It's not really the family farm. It's corporate farming, big machines, a lot of expensive equipment coming out of the breadbasket of the country, the Midwest. Uh, a lot of crops were so fertile there with our plains and our rivers draining the center of the nation. You know, the capital of the Indian nations was Cahokia, which uh, was now St. Louis. Cahokia was right there on the river and basically equidistant from both coasts. And we have that great river tributary system going from uh, up the northern part of the country down to the, to the Gulf. And we've taken it for granted. And I think one of the mistakes we may make is that we've translated all of our rural land into commercial property. Brazil is facing that. See, remember a long time ago I said in class, we led in the northern hemisphere, we did our pioneering from 1800 to 1900, essentially. We cleared out our Indians, cut down our forests, uh, killed off the buffalo, went west, and we hit the Pacific Ocean. So we did our pioneering. We came back, and then we converted to industrialism and, and used nature to produce material goods and to distribute them through advertising and salesmanship. And then we got uh, urban centers, and they began to support much larger population densities, and hence the modern world. In the Southern Hemisphere, they haven't done their pioneering yet. They're just now beginning in Brazil to clear their forests, kill off their Indians, and convert to industrial society. That's just the way it is. And they are experiencing some growth patterns that are really stressing their economies. Um, now, um, the, uh, uh, pro the, the clearing of this land and the converting of it, as we've done here, to something other than uh, land to grow things has created a need for what has now become known as urban agriculture. And urban agriculture is beginning to grow across many of the world's mega cities because of the rapid inflation and bottlenecks of supplies. And we're always one strike away from having supplies. If this train thing blew up on our face and this diesel fuel got too expensive and these supplies like fertilizer got too scarce and expensive, um, and prohibited by the climate uh, uh, zealots, you're going to have all those uh, things converse and make a life worse than really some of the issues that war can produce. Uh, in Brazil, there's a country of 215 million where about 85% of the people now live in urban areas. Now, remember, they're doing what we did from 1800 to 1900. They're now doing it from 2000 into the 21 uh, world. So there are about 85% of the people now living in urban areas. And cities such as Rio are trying to deal with this. Um, one of the ways they're doing it 
is a, a building of what is the largest vegetable garden in the world, they say, by 2024. It's a plot of land that was abandoned after the 2016 Olympic Games. A 27-acre lot will be capable of feeding some 50,000 families, according to the Rio government. Now, this is bypassing what we do now. I have a friend who made a very good living as a food broker, and he did nothing but connect the product in the field with the trucker who then took it to the store. And he negotiated all that. He was the broker. So if there was a crop in California or Nebraska, he arranged for the crop to be loaded. And then he arranged for the loaded vehicle to take it to its destination. All that was done by him. And he had a food brokerage business, not a stock market business, but food brokerage. And I'll tell you, it was absolutely the way to stay busy all day long, telephones and communication systems, you can imagine what that looked like. So now um, we may have reached a point of diminishing returns of that system. And if that's the case, we're going to have to take a look around. I'm riding up and down some of the roads here in our county, and I'm seeing commercial realtor signs in front of those pieces of land. Boy, I, I, I just hope that I'm not around long enough to see the mistake that could turn out to be. Why isn't that land being held aside for production of food? What makes you assume that the distribution system of semi-truck and train will get these products to these grocery stores um, why don't we prepare for a backup plan? Just like I was suggesting you do with your own pantry, prepare for a backup plan. So uh, Brazil has been an agricultural superpower. We are an agricultural superpower or have been. Brazil produces about 10% of the world's food from beef to soybeans, orange juice to corn, uh, according to an analysis by the journal. Uh, but paradoxically, and this is where we are right now, and this is why we have to start thinking ahead. Paradoxically, while it's an agricultural superpower, it is uh, too expensive to buy food for most poor families. And families that were not once upon a time poor are becoming poor because of the cost of buying food. Paradoxically, in a country where they're one of the big agricultural producers. So about 33 million people are going hungry in Brazil and uh, compared with about 19 million people at the end of, the, of 2020. So it's really significantly changed. Um, so what Rio de Janeiro is doing is providing people with seeds and tools and $100 a month stipend the farm strips of land in the slum communities that therefore will enable them to sell half their produce at cheap prices and use the rest. Now, once upon a time, I had a guy who was a buddy of mine who was kind of a visionary who advocated that we farm the land in the strips on the interstate. 
I have you ever noticed the land that separates the north and southbound lanes or the east and west lanes? It's land. Could you farm it if push came to shove? It's just sitting there. There's a question he had. I didn't have an answer, of course, and I thought he was a man ahead of his time. So if they grow locally, they cut out the transportation costs and cut out that as a variable, which is right now we put all of our, I don't want to pun here, eggs in that basket where we are dependent upon transportation costs to get the food to us. Um, uh, So my mother who told me she lived to be 107 and a half, as many of you know, she was born three months after the Titanic sank and came through the depression. I said, mother, how did you all do it? She said, we didn't have money, but we had food. And they in inside the cities uh, began to grow gardens. And in those gardens, buddy, they could grow a lot of the stuff. And then they had communal gardens and they, they got by, but they didn't have money. And if they had money, there wouldn't have been enough money to buy what they needed if it had been available. Now, uh, that's that's interesting, I think, to put out there for you all to think about. It's your future. And uh, you. one of the things I have been listening to myself think about this is assumptions we have are just assumptions. They're just based upon an infrequency of failure so far. But there's no guarantee that that infrequency rate will remain the same. So we need contingency plans, but we don't really have a contingency plan in this country for supplying food to ourselves. In fact, it looks as if it exactly is headed in the opposite direction. Well, that's my food for thought today. Boy, I don't know. I got to quit that kind of stuff. And I thought I'd pass it along with you uh, to have a, to have a, a think about. So uh, thank you for uh, listening to us today. We hope that between me and Ed, um, and that's a correct pronoun, me, because it's the object of the preposition between, uh, between me and Ed, we straightened out hopefully a little bit of this confusion about districts, although I understand how confusing it can be. Thanks, production, for a great show. Warthog Command Center out.